I'm not gonna say good morning because I just don't have it in me to say good morning today. Just got back from the store. Had to get this on the train. I'm battling on so many different fronts here. At times, I don't know if I'm coming or going. in dire straits right now. What's up, sweetheart? Yeah, I know. You just want me to rub you. Hello, Lily. Good morning to you. My fur baby, did you just try to lick me on my mouth? No, no, sweetheart. You don't lick Papa on the mouth. <laughs> Lily, you mess no. Go sit down. Damn. Already pet you. Damn. Just sit your ass down somewhere. Little happy ass. It's not just bad enough that I can say for certain that mine, neither one of my aunts like to see me happy and as far as I can muster they've probably been planning my demise and my unhappiness for the last nine years and on July 30th they got their wish my soulmate my best friend my wife Parted. The only reason why I didn't follow her is because I gave my grandmother my word that I would watch over my aunts, who I'm certain hates me. I don't know if it's because. I'm darker than them. It is probably that. But I, I I don't know. I think my aunt is trying to get me to crash out. So she can call the police. So the police can assassinate me. I tried to talk to an anchor representative or... Spotify podcast represent. I don't really know what they're going at. But they took away the only option I had to monetize these recordings. And I'm not doing these recordings for money. It was just a nice added value to help keep me going. I'm not going to sit up here and ask for any donations or nothing like that because 
that's not what this channel was made for. It's made mainly for the new black media recordings. And my segment, Rant in the Black, to help me channel some of my my frustrations. See, that's that slurring shit that I was talking about. Still feels like my left side is numb, but I'm a, I'm got control of my mouth where what I go to drink doesn't fall out of the left corner of my mouth anymore. That was embarrassing. And when I need to help me get over that, but I see that that feeling is settling back into me again. I don't have anybody with positive reinforcement. It's like I'm running on one cylinder these days. They have an option on here if... um, If any listeners would like to be a supporter it would grace it would grace it would greatly be appreciated can't even talk because I know my motor skills aren't up to par they haven't been up to par ever since I had this goddamn stroke When Nini was here, it was it's easier to deal with because I had somebody I could relate to, somebody I could trust, somebody I know that loved me for me and vice versa. I never loved anybody like I loved Juanita before. I never trusted anybody like I trusted Juanita. And nobody could make me laugh even when I was in pain. Except for Juanita. So. Now her big baby is all alone. That was her nickname for me. I'm not going to sit up here and say that I'm scared but I'm highly concerned because I'm never going back to prison not going to put me in a 5 by 8 cell again to be verbally psychologically and sometimes physically abused I still got those two marks from that taser, the motherfucker shot me when I was in the shower. He laughed about it. Him and his little training partner. 
supposed to be doing Professor Black Truth moment of truth. And I guess nine minutes is long long enough that I can uh, end this rant in the black and get on with my regular recordings. If you do enjoy what I record and upload as in videos to these two channels, why doesn't anybody hit me up on the comment section? Tell me what what you would like to hear or be added to my program in here. Again, I'm not going to ask anybody to beg for no donations, but if you want to be a supporter of either or of these channels, because I'm speaking on my channel and I'm speaking on Juanita's channel at the same time, it will greatly be appreciated. Family, keep your head on a swivel. Watch over our elderly and our babies. And be safe out there. All right. Haven't done uh, any recordings on Blacksby for this week. So this is the first one. And I'll be doing two videos back to back. Hold on a second. Start up my anchor channel. I forgot. And I'm recording on three different devices. So, um, the first uh, recording would be uh, let's see, we can get to Professor Black Truth right after this one. But I see that the prepper had uh, put something on. So, let's check this out. Some breaking news 12 minutes long. Some breaking news here for you with what's going on between Israel, Lebanon, the United States of America, and Israel's enemies. Do you think for a moment that the United States military would be moving as much of our assets to that region as we are if they aren't prepared to go into a full-scale war? I'm getting a little bit concerned, honestly, because I'm not as far ahead in this game as I would like to be. When COVID hit, we were way far ahead. Now, after the cost of living crisis and all the things that are happening across the United States of America, so many people are suffering right now that I know, without a shadow of a doubt, the people in the United States will not be able to handle another shock to our way of life. I was talking just the other day with Nate, Canadian prepper, and uh, Chris over at City Prepping, and we were discussing this very series of events. Basically, everybody is in shock of how fast this is moving and in what direction it's moving. And when I tell you that we're talking about all of those end game necessities, that's exactly what we are discussing. The things that you're going to need to do to keep your family safe, how bad it's going to get, how bad the economy is going to be affected, what you're going to have to do just to continue to make ends meet, and how bad the USA and Canada are going to be. The consensus between all of us mirrors the worst that we are seeing from military strategists and uh, uh, economists. 
They are right now speaking the same language. This is a natural series of war disasters that will continue to put conflict and crisis after conflict and crisis. We are going to have an oil problem soon. We're going to have a straight up Hormuz problem soon. We're going to have a shipping problem soon. We're going to have a supply shortage soon. You're going to have a gas tank problem soon, an electricity problem, and that's without the FBI and local law enforcement each individually saying that they are on an extreme level of heightened alert because they see terrorist cells being activated inside the USA and inside Canada. This is no longer any sort of hyperbole. It's no longer anything about what ifs or what could be. We are watching these attacks taking place right now. What's happening between Israel and Lebanon, what's happening between Israel and all the other countries that are against it, is going to reverberate like an earthquake does through the core of the earth all the way across our planet to hit every single continent and region. It's right now at that dividing point where you're either with the United States of America and its regional allies, or you are against it. Now, this is scary because we're seeing so much armaments moved. We're seeing so many... Uh, military platforms being moved over, we are seeing the USA and Israel stand up and say, you know what, if they do this, here's what's going to happen. Iran already said it's time for preemptive attacks. Now, when's the last time you heard this type of verbiage of behavior? Anytime we saw the USA moving this much weaponry over to a region, they use them within days to weeks. So we only have a little bit of time, I would say, a limited amount of time before this thing escalates beyond the country's ability to control it. That means our military leaders who have been saying our military is too fat, our military is too woke, our military is too problematic, they're the ones who are going to be suffering through a military trying to pull them together to fight for a war that nobody here at home is going to believe is necessary. Let me tell you, in certain ways it is, because as the United States dollar is threatened, and this is China's plan and Russia's plan, as the United States dollar is threatened, you are going to see these other countries step up their game, and they're going to say, let's attack, let's attack the economy, let's attack the population, let's attack the religious centers, let's divide the population, and the Dems and the Republicans, they're all going to fall right in line, like little kids putting their little shoes on, and they're going to say, okay, you know what, I do hate them. The other side will say, you know what, I do hate them. And then you have civil unrest inside of the country. Remember when COVID struck, that's what the worst of it was for a lot of people. It was when you weren't safe to go outside of your home because of riots and unrest. You saw the supply shortages. People started having problems. And look at where we're at today with our economy. It is a wartime economy, but it's worse. You have people hitting the soup kitchen. You have people choosing one meal a day because they can't afford to have two or three. They're talking about their shelter, how they can't already put gas in their vehicle, and everybody is strained and threatened. Now, let me tell you, we are animals in a way that if you threaten the animal, they are going to either back themselves into a corner or they're going to lash out. That's the sort of civil unrest that we expect to see across the USA. And as soon as one attack happens, we already saw a little bit of one with that guy who got stabbed because he was a zealot or some sort of whack job. That one little thing that happens that just starts that snowball of events that just rolls over into something that is no longer containable or controllable. Now, we have police departments in the USA being told that that's 
that moment is now. That time to get your riot gear ready, now. That time to get your snipers on the rooftops, now. We've already seen an escalation of threat levels across major banking institutions in the USA. They've told the banks to watch out for bank runs, people being scared that they won't be able to get their money out tomorrow. Then they're going to the bank today and taking out all the money that they have. Guess what? Predators are just waiting for this. If you were a criminal, wouldn't you be waiting to watch the person take out their money at the bank? Why not? It's free to sit there. And in fact, it would be profiling if you told them that they couldn't. They just sit there and wait. You pull away with your fresh 3K, 10K, or whatever that you just got from the bank. Now it's the criminal's time to follow you home and hit you on your way to your front door. It's not just happening at that level because you have to remember criminals aren't always smart, especially the ones that get caught. Sometimes it's the ones who are just making dumb moves. And we are seeing them follow people home from the grocery store. Why? Because that $600 basket is literally something they can't afford. So why not go take it from someone else? I recently watched a ring camera footage of two individuals walking up to their house before a guy in a mask with a gun ran up behind them. Now, luckily, the woman must have heard something that you can't see on camera, but she just got that door closed and locked just in time before the guy got up there with his firearm. Now, he tried to take the ring camera off, but anybody who knows anything about technology knows it's already too late there. But what they can do in that case is hopefully he hopes that they couldn't identify him further. Now, you need to be on your guard. Situational awareness is the time. That's the word of the day. If you're in Sesame Street today, the word of the day is situational awareness. And you'll say, Brad, that's two words. I don't care. We're not in Sesame Street. What I know that the phrase of the day is it's time for you to be ready. Be ready at a moment's notice. You had better, if you think that having your self-defense tool far away from you is okay right now, it's not. Unless you have a sure barrier between you and that tool. You don't want anything that stops you from saving your family or being able to protect them. One way to do that is making sure you don't have to make as many trips to the grocery store. This helps you in two ways. One, you might not be able to get those things in just a couple of short weeks from today. And two, it makes it so that you're not exposed to potentially violent elements as much as the other person. If you're going to the grocery store every single day, every two days, not only are you creating a pattern of behavior that is monitorable, able to be monitored, and able to be followed, tracked, and acted upon by a criminal element, but you are also making it so that you're exposed to those types of opportunity attacks more often. So get your pantry stocked. Do as much online shopping as you can, because let's face it, Amazon, Walmart, they already ruined the mom and pop stores. Take advantage of this. Use it to, uh, to your advantage now. Get your pantry filled up. Get your bulletproof vest. If you can afford to get it, please get a bulletproof vest. Please get a couple of them for your family. Even if you're just putting them in your vehicle as you're driving in an evacuation, that could save your life. You might not want to be all bulletproof vested out as you walk up to the grocery store. That's probably not going to end well because the cops are on edge. The security guards are on edge. Every uh, you know Karen out there is on edge. You walk in and now you're lit up. Instead, you want to be able to have it to use it when you need it. No one's going to think twice during an evacuation of you having one behind you or you putting it on under your shirt and under your seatbelt. They're not even going to be able to uh, see it. So this type of brave preparedness, being ready without looking ready, is exactly what you need. You need to be eye aware. You need to be watching the people who are watching you. You need to be ready to act 
if they start to act violently, and you need to watch what's happening in the Middle East right now. It is so paramount that you see what's happening for what it really is. This is a drive by China, a drive by Russia to divide the United States of America between a fight against China and a fight against the Middle Eastern countries that are anti-American or anti-Israeli. Next, when it comes to Taiwan, that's where things are really going to heat up. You have to look at the big picture here. And that big picture says, if they lock up the strait in the Middle East and they lock up the strait in China, where, what are we looking at now? 60, 70, 80% of all of our uh, globalism-driven uh, pieces of material and equipment come through, they've locked America down to only what it can produce itself or source from a nearby country. Canada won't be getting it. Mexico won't be getting it. How much of the things that you get are made in Ecuador today? Not very many. So you're going to be in real trouble when you need that part for your air conditioning unit, when your phone breaks, when your ham radio isn't available, when your car part breaks, when your washing machine breaks, you're going to need those things. Now you need to look at what you need in your life that you can't live without. Is it a CPAP machine? It might be. Is it a, uh, you know, a certain piece of medical equipment? Well, if those things cannot be lived without or will make your survivability much less, get extra now. You also need to think about antibiotics. You also need to think about all those different parts of your daily routine and the what ifs. You have tourniquets, you have blood stuff, you have uh, you know, chest wounds, sucking chest wound kits. Have you YouTube it at least to know what to do? I'm not giving advice, I'm just telling you what a prepared person would be looking at. These people who are being pumped full of holes in the Middle East because there's an ongoing war, they might not have had them. And so they lay on the ground in a very graphic video footage that you can find online, but I don't suggest you looking. What I don't want is for that to be your city, your neighborhood, your apartment complex. I don't want to see somebody filming with their phone camera, somebody that you know, laying on the ground. What I do want is you just as prepared and just as ready as you can be. You have to start now. These things are going to get worse. Thank you guys for being here with us. Full Spectrum Survival only on YouTube. Please leave a comment. Tell me what you're seeing out there. Please leave a reply to someone's comment, a thumbs up on this video, and subscribe if you haven't already. Much love and stay safe. All right, now we'll go to Professor Black Truth. Just saw it on here. Give me a minute. All right, here it is. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Seems there's some trouble over at the Peacock Channel. The open-minded East Coast liberals are showing their true colors again, and the Arabs are finding themselves on the outs. And what I'm talking about isn't going on in the Middle East, it's going on in the white media. Now, is this about race or religion? Well, consider this. Arabs, by and large, identify as white. Steve Jobs was of Syrian descent. He was adopted by a family with the surname Jobs. Casey Kasem was another one. One of the most famous DC-based reporters was Helen Thomas, who, despite her last name, was an Arab. You have people who, when they immigrate to the U.S., regardless of any talk about them being olive-skinned or whatever, they personally identify as white. This goes for Hispanics as well as Arabs. 
about the only time there's any breaks in this facade is whenever the white supremacists start bringing these folks in for some abuse. Then all of a sudden they remember that, well, you know, I'm not white right now. This I don't feel that way. From time to time, they get a reminder that the dominant society is just playing along with them, but reserves the right to stop at any moment. See 9-11. But for the most part, when it comes to business and society, that's who they most openly identify with. You know, whenever I see certain stories in the news, I can't help but think of Dean Obadala. He was a comedian, but as he himself put it, he went to bed a white guy and woke up an Arab after 9-11. Dean Obadiah, apparently with no self-awareness, never realized that he didn't have to wait until 9-11 to know that he was an Arab. Were white Americans more charitable toward Arabs when the oil embargo went down in the 70s? Or the Iran hostage crisis in 79? Or the bombing of the Marine barracks in Lebanon in 83? Or the numerous plane hijackings in the 1980s? And the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 in 88? Or the first Gulf War in 1991? or the first bombing of the World Trade Towers in 1993, or the bombing of the embassy in Kenya and Tanzania, Obadiah seems to think that America was just in love with Arabs and Muslims until 9-11, when the truth is that there's always been the slurs and insults and stereotypes. And Obadiah is not a child. He was born in 1969. He's older than I am. So he knows full well how things were in the 70s and 80s and 90s. So how did he forget about that? It's not that he forgot, it's that he had the luxury of pretending that he didn't know, because after all, you get that pat on the head and that's all that matters, right? Now, with the latest outbreak of war in the Middle East, there's a lot of people doing the most to try to get black people to try to choose sides. The reason for that is we are the only oppressed people on the entire planet. Everybody else is inconvenienced. That's why whenever every other group on the planet tries to talk about their alleged plight, they always, always come back to us. They always reference us because they know who's really oppressed and who's not. So since there's no substitute for the moral legitimacy that we represent, and there's also no getting around the fact that we alone are oppressed, everybody tries to see if they can get us to co-sign with what they're saying. We made a superpower have to, at least on paper, say that it was going to change its ways and admit to the world that it wasn't living up to its empty talk about democracy, freedom, and altruism. We are the moral compass of this country. No other group has done that, not even among black people in the diaspora. So we are truly unique. Ours is a pure struggle. And everyone wants to try to appropriate it for their own personal benefit. Well, we're not signing on to anything because everybody who's trying to get us to lend our good offices to their problems in many cases, they are beneficiaries, if not outright participants, in our oppression. And that's just a fact. Both Jews and Arabs came to the U.S. as immigrants. Both of them lived in black communities when they got here, and it was our money that bootstrapped both of their businesses. And both of these groups turned around and engaged in the same anti-black racism as the rest of the society. Both groups used America's favorite rationales to justify the anti-black racism, too. In many cases, they come from countries and cultures that were already practicing anti-black racism before they got here. And for a while, some of them thought that the dominant society would play along with their fiction, and they did, until it no longer amused them to do so. And when the truth inevitably comes out, it traumatizes the people who are holding certain illusions. Recently, Jonathan Greenblatt, the professional influence peddler, apparently didn't think that the Muslim anchors at MSNBC towing the line for Israel strong enough. Even though none of those Muslim anchors were speaking against Israel, 
Greenblatt didn't think that they were cheerleading against the Palestinians enough. So he went on air and complained about it, and now we see that MSNBC's three most prominent Muslim anchors have been sidelined for the last several days. This, by the way, is how Jonathan Greenblatt operates. He demands that everyone do what he says and condemns whatever he orders people to condemn. And if he thinks you're not doing it, or in the case of MSNBC's Muslim anchors, if he thinks you're not doing it enthusiastically enough, then he'll drop some not-so-subtle hints that you're an anti-Semite. Or at the very least, you're probably sympathetic to people who are anti-Semitic. And then the networks whose management are very much on Greenblatt's side will use his complaints as the basis to attack, or in this case, sideline people. Again, none of these three Muslim anchors have been kept off the air for saying anything anti-Semitic. In fact, they haven't said one syllable against Israel. They've gone to great lengths not to offend anyone. But that wasn't enough for Greenblatt. You know, Greenblatt claims that the ADL is not so much about anti-Semitism as it is against all forms of defamation in general. And it is true that they no longer call themselves the Jewish Anti-Defamation League. They just call themselves the ADL. But the problem is, whenever it comes time to talk about some act of anti-black violence, for some reason, you'll occasionally have some cable network, typically MSNBC, bring Greenblatt on, and when he gets on the air, he'll give one throwaway mention to whatever racial attack happened, and then he will immediately pivot to talking about anti-Semitism, and he'll stay on that. However, whenever there's some anti-Semitic incident that goes down, the white media will often have a black commentator on, their job is to say, we're against anti-Semitism, and it always stops there. It never pivots to the black community, though many of them will say, well, you got to say something about Farrakhan. That's what will happen. Whether it's Mark Levin, Richard Herrnstein, Sarah Silverman, or Bill Maher, you have never seen Jonathan Greenblatt condemning any Jewish person who engages in anti-black racism. But whenever it comes to anti-Semitism, he'll be the first one saying somebody should be taken off the air because they're not condemning it. That's the game that he plays. As far as he's concerned, sympathy only goes one way. But with Mehdi Hassan, Ali Belshi, and Aimee Milyeldin, they've been put on ice the last several days. And it's only been the last couple of days that the online media has made an issue of it to the point that MSNBC has been forced to say something. And their excuse is, oh, well, these guys haven't been sidelined. It's just that we've had them in different roles for logistical reasons. That's why you haven't seen them on air. Rumor is that Mehdi Hassan is supposed to be on Joy Reid's show sometime in the future, though nobody's exactly sure when. When these guys are back on the air, though, don't expect them to be causing any trouble. Well, maybe Ali Velshi will, but not Mehdi Hassan. This is the best job he's ever had or will ever have in his entire life, and he's not going to ruin that. You ought to see the letters that he was writing to some of Rupert Murdoch's newspapers back in the day when he was trying to get himself a working gig in Britain. And as for Eamon, well, he's the definition of bland. So no matter what these guys think of their unofficial suspension, they're not going to be making a big deal about it. Now, the issue comes in that you have a lot of immigrants who come to the U.S. and they jump on the bashing black people bandwagon. And as everyone knows, since at least the 19th century, that's the fastest way to get a pat on the head from white power and get them to tell you that you're on the team. Everyone can try to make false comparisons between themselves and the history of black Americans, but it won't wash. That's the reason why we're not taking any sides in this latest Middle Eastern conflict. Please don't think that this latest dust-up is going to result in a change in how either of those communities interact with us. Asians have already forgotten about how things were in 2020 already. 
Everyone wants to come to us and stand in solidarity, but only when white power's got its foot up their behinds. Other than that, it's back to business as usual. So the three Muslim anchors on MSNBC have gotten their wake-up call, but we all know they'll hit the snooze button soon enough. The lesson never sticks. This is precisely why we're not taking any sides, because it doesn't make a difference how we're treated by these groups. We don't have a comfortable place under white supremacy, and even if we did, we wouldn't want it. Too many people practice opportunism as a group, and black people have been naive about that. The Arab news outlets haven't been making a big deal about how MSNBC has been treating its Muslim talent, mostly because they've been covering the hospital bombing in Gaza that killed hundreds of people. But they've all been complaining about how blatantly lopsided the white media's coverage has been in the U.S. These white networks here have not let any Palestinians or Arabs on the air. If you're not with the Israeli government or towing the line for them, you're not going to get any airtime. They won't even bring any Palestinian people on so they can argue with them. A lot of people in the white media identify as Jewish, and a lot of people in the white media also identify as Arab. But regardless of religious affiliation or ethnic background, both of them identify as white. And when it comes to how they've interacted with black people, the similarities far outweigh the differences. In fact, that becomes a type of common ground that they're all easily able to find. What does it mean to be American? It means to agree to and uphold the racial pecking order. Attack black people, mistreat black people, and you will have shown your loyalty to the system. That establishes your American bona fides. I make note of MSNBC singling out as Muslim anchors because people need to understand that trashing black people and engaging in anti-black racism and discrimination doesn't mean you're on the team. It means you've made yourself a useful idiot. That's why I bring up the piece about Obadala. Look how long it took this man to admit to what was right in front of him. When are people going to learn? The only safe place under white supremacy is fighting it. Bootlicking is a career path that doesn't come with a retirement plan. You want to be white supremacist adjacent? You can do that. But you also better be ready to eat a lot of crap and swallow your dignity, too. Part of the devil's bargain is you have to come in for some abuse on a regular basis. See, these Arab-American celebrities may be caught off guard by how they're being treated, but they shouldn't be. White supremacists love a cruel prank, especially one that takes a long time to pay off. They get a sick thrill out of breaking people's spirits, which is why they enjoy pretending to be someone's friend for a long time, only to then suddenly pull the rug right out from under them and see the look on their faces when they realize they've been played for a fool and that they had spent months, if not years, living a lie. It makes them feel as if their entire life has been nothing more than a fraud, just one cruel joke. See, these white supremacists love shattering someone's entire world. It's simultaneously a show of their power and a guilty pleasure for them. Will MSNBC own up to what they've done in this case? Frankly, I don't even think that it matters. Will their Muslim anchors speak out on this? If they haven't already, I wouldn't hold my breath. The only one that I could see quitting live on air is Ali Velshi, and I'm not betting on that one. White powers rewarded them too much for them to leave, at least abruptly. Sure, maybe many years from now, they'll come clean about it, and they'll give a couple of half-hearted misgivings. But today is what counts. And today, mums the word. So don't expect this incident to have any lasting impact on them. They'll know what's up, but it won't mean anything. After all, at the end of the day, there's a lot more Arabs who think the way Dean Obadala used to than those who don't. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. 
Black Voltron Reloaded, Rod's Money, Aikiga's Dorset, Antonio Daniels, and Abram Pruitt. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Recordings up. Black family, it seems like uh, we've been lied to yet again. And it seems that. Uh, Al Heinrich, spokesperson check this for out. Israeli Prime Check this out. Al Heinrich, spokesperson for Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who joins us from Tel Aviv. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. So we're talking about this hospital explosion, and we have evidence that there was no crater. Usually when Israel strikes, it leaves a big hole in the ground. Instead, there was a fire in the parking lot, which shows that it, it was a misfire rocket from um, from the uh, is from uh, Gaza. And also, there's other evidence. We have a, the IDF posted a phone call between two Hamas members. It's in Arabic, but it admit, they're admitting to each other we did this. It was our Put it right there at the door. I'll get it in a well, second. I gotta put my dogs up. Thank you. Because too. Uh, to your questions, part of the lies that have been spread are part of Hamas propaganda. It was very significant that this morning President Biden sat with Prime Minister Netanyahu in, in his voice and to the camera, he spoke to the whole world and unequivocally said that no, that will not Israel behind uh, that uh, strike on uh, that hospital in Gaza. That was the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And the president said so based on evidence, data evidence that the IDF and that we have shown him and our American counterparts. And uh, also, we also uh, put out videos very, very quickly after this thing happened, uh, proving that in fact, it was part of a barrage of missiles that were fired from inside the Gaza Strip by the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. One of them fell short at the parking lot of uh, that hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, there was also Al Jazeera footage, a live footage that caught the same thing. Uh, we also released security uh, mm -hmm. camera footage from one of the kibbutzim in the vicinity of the Gaza Strip. It's called uh, Nativa Asa'a. And in that uh, camera of, of that kibbutz, you can also see very clearly how that missile misfell. Uh, now, uh, this is a, a tragedy. It's, it's a complete tragedy of, of the war, but this tragedy it's on the shoulders of, of Hamas. And let me tell you this. Unfortunately, the writing was on the wall. The writing is still, in fact, on the wall. Since the outbreak of this war, 450 missiles that was were fired by these terrorist organizations, yes. Hamas and Islamic Jihad, fell short in the Gaza Strip. We just saw so, that the chorus. Matt, Madam, you know, for those of us that are honest brokers, we can take the evidence and assess it and see clearly what happened here. They bombed their own the shit. entire Arab world that believes some of the stuff that Hamas is saying. So what does the prime minister, what do you say 
to those that believe Hamas and believe um, the jihadists? That's a great question. Anything that comes, any information, any footage, any numbers that come out of the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip should be taken with a huge grain of salt. Uh, this is like taking an account from uh, out of North Korea, for example. Would you trust numbers or footage coming out of North Korea? No. Um, we, on our part, do investigate, we conduct inquiries, we know how to do what we do, and we put out verified information. When I speak numbers, when I debrief uh, foreign media, I know, or the IDF spokesperson unit, uh, we know the numbers that, uh, you know, that the numbers are real, that the footage is real. Um, you can't so take knows black hair you bitch. Have you not seen what, what they've done on October 7th Massacre? How can you take the word of anything coming Front out of the Front so big the bitch can't even close her mouth all the way. Brutally murdered 1,400 of our civilians. Now, you have to understand Man, fuck that y'all civilians. everyone in Gaza is under Hamas's control uh, right now. Even if you speak to a doctor, you speak to a citizen, you speak to uh, the Gaza <laughs> Health Ministry, which is in fact the Hamas Health Ministry, um, you should take these reports with a grain of salt because they can't speak their mind they can't just say what they want. They have to be aligned with the general Hamas message. Otherwise, they won't pay the, con- the consequences. So let, let me ask you this. Um, with the president <laughs> put a ground invasion, would probably increase security to a point that probably wouldn't make sense. How, what percentage of your surveillance and intelligence reveals that Hezbollah will hit you from the north when you go in to Gaza in the south? Well, uh, I cannot speak of any kind of uh, operational military strategy moving ahead. What I can say regarding Hezbollah and our northern border is that we will do anything, everything to, to protect it. And President Biden also said to our other adversaries across the region, he said it in one word, don't, simply don't try us, don't try Israel. And it really speaks volumes that the president has arrived here in the middle of the war to also send this message, not only to Hamas down in the south of Israel, but also to our enemies um, outside uh, the country, if it's Iran or if it's Hezbollah. They shouldn't try us. Sure. Paul, one, you're also getting criticism in addition to uh, these images of the hospital. And I understand, you know, we've seen the evidence. Uh, We believe your story. but the other criticism you're getting is that regarding all of the people down at, at the Rafa crossing. Uh, some people are trying to get into Egypt. Uh, Egypt is trying to get some aid, humanitarian aid, into Israel, or rather into Gaza. But you guys won't open the gate. Will that, well, be, first, ad- will that be addressed before the ground war? Because, you know, something's got to give. Well, the, the border between... Uh, the, the Rafah border crossing it, it is a, a border between the Gaza Strip and Egypt. Um, Israel is not in control over there. So, uh, and, but what I can tell you is just that just a few days ago, there was a coordinated attempt by some players um, to uh, make sure that this border crossing will be able to open so that foreign nationals who are being held right. in Gaza will be able to leave. But what Hamas did is that they blocked the exit. They did not let foreign nationals out, which is crazy. Israel, we do not want any civilian casualties. We seek to minimize civilian casualties. Hamas, they want to maximize civilian casualties, not only of Israelis, but also of Palestinians. All right, well, Tal, thank you so much. Y'all are in our prayers. Just know that you have our soft blessing. Thank you so much. Thank you.
those motherfuckers bonded themselves. Hold on, I got another one for it. Hold on, there's another report. See if I can get to it. Ah, never mind, the queen is on. Doing, I don't know where they get this stuff from. Like, there's a whole lot of nefarious going on. Let me just pull this up real quick. Like, up, everyone, please like and share. Thank you in advance. And this man's name is literally Brad. Let me pull his face up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Picture up here. That's him right there. Hold on. <clears throat> oh Lord, hold on, beloveds. Just a second. Apparently, I forgot to send the. Okay, here it is. Forgot to send it to my email. Okay, so here it is. So let me just tell you all what happened. This is all nefarious. And so here's what happened. Uh, I just killed somebody. This is what he said, apparently, to the police. The cops find decapitated body with intestines extruding in living room and the head in the bathtub, according to the reports. Now, this was reported October 15th. Bradley Demick, also known as Brad, is accused of killing a man and then chopping his head off. According to San Antonio police officers, they found the man's head in the bathtub. All right. So the cops in Texas made a horrifying discovery uh, when they found the decapitated body in the living room of a San, of a San Antonio home and the severed head in the bathtub. Uh, they cited the arrest affidavit. Uh, they reported that San Antonio police were called around 10:15 p.m. on Friday for a suspicious person after a man was looking into parked vehicles. Now, when officers got there, they approached the man, later identified as 35-year-old Bradley Adam Demick, and he said, "Hey, I just killed somebody." Oh, damn. He allegedly said he killed a person named Demick in a home about a mile away. A cops went to the home and immediately saw blood inside the front door. Officers went inside and saw a dead a, a dead dog near the front door. Uh, then they went to the living room and found a headless uh, the headless body of a man. The victim identified as sixty five year old Keith Demick. Now, the him and this man had the same last night. He had a large stomach wound with his intestines extruding from his body, according to the affidavit. Uh, the dog had similar injuries. Like this is all demonic. I just want you to pay attention. The demons are actively walking amongst us people. Please. This is not a joke. Now, the police followed a trail of dried blood, uh, which led them to the severed head of the bathtub. There, there were three uh, surveillance cameras in the home, including one that was pointed toward Keith Demick's body. It's unclear to police when the homicide occurred, but detectives noted in the affidavit that there were no missed notifications on Keith Demick's cell phone dating back to nine. 19 a.m. on October the 13th. So likely he'd been there for at least a couple of days. Deceased. 
Detectives also did not say how the Dennis were related, but Bradley's address listed in the affidavit is where the grisly slaying occurred. Now, court records show Bradley Dimmick is facing first-degree murder and animal cruelty charges. He's at the Bexar County Jail on a $1.5 million bond. Oh, sick. Whoever this person was, was a relative of his, and because the person is 65, I'm going to guess that it's his own father. Likely his own father, because he's in his 30s, but the man's 65. It's probably his own father. Oh, so sad. This is all so sad. Chuck this man's, first of all, what a way to die. Okay? I think you decapitate him and have his intestines hanging all out. No open casket. That's for sure. It's sad. I mean, they should have charged him with desecration of a corpse also, as far as I'm concerned. Some people are just sick in the head. Mentor. So let's continue. Now, in this story, this man named Ramon J. Moy is wanted in the horrific death of his own son. Okay, of his own son. Now, this fool is on the run. So let's talk about an overwhelming smell. Dad wanted, the dad is wanted after 12-year-old's emaciated, maggot-covered, 54-pound body was found in the living room with two broken arms. This man brutalized this poor child and then killed. This is so sad. Authorities in Wisconsin are searching for 45-year-old uh, father, a 45-year-old father, after the decomposing body of his emaciated 12-year-old son was found inside his apartment with an array of suspicious injuries, including both of his arms and several of his ribs being recently broken. A warrant for the arrest of Ramon J. Moy was issued Saturday in connection to the death of young Ja'Carri Robinson, authorities announced. The Moy is facing one count each of chronic neglect of a child. Consequence is death, chronic neglect of a child, consequence is bodily harm, chronic neglect of a child, and failure to report the death of a child. According to a probable cause affidavit, officers with the City of Milwaukee Police Department at around 6.15 p.m. on October the 10th responded to a dead-on-entry call to an apartment complex loaded, uh, located at the 4100 block of, in, of North Elmhurst Road. Now, the caller told the emergency dispatcher that there was a deceased 12-year-old uh, child located inside the residence in an advanced stage of decomposition. Upon arriving at the scene, first responders located the caller, who identified himself as Moy's 22-year-old son, uh, identified in court documents as J.M. J.M. told police his three younger brothers, ages 17, 15, and 12, typically all lived in the apartment with Moy, but noted that for the last few weeks, the 17 and 15-year-olds had both been staying with their mother, whilst the youngest, known as J.R., uh, that's to carry, remained under Moy's care. According to police documents, J.M. said he visited his father a few days prior and noticed he was acting abnormal and repeatedly taking deep breaths, but told police he never entered the apartment. Now, with his father continuing to act strange, J.M. told the police that he returned to the apartment again on October the 10th to check on Moy's well-being and let himself in when Moy failed to answer the door. J.M. went into the residence and looked around, but no one was there. J.M. went back into the residence to look for some belongings, 
uh, that were important to the defendant, according to the affidavit. Now, as J.M. entered the living room, he noticed a foot protruding from the covers on the living room floor. Uh, J.M. immediately yelled out because J.M. knew that it was J.R.'s body. J.M. pulled the cover back and observed J.R.'s face in an advanced state of decomposition with maggots present. I don't even know how to effing feel right now. I'm lost and confused. I'm lost and confused. So let's just go to the footage. This is all so sad. Prayers for the family for this poor child. I'm going to share my screen. Everyone, please get the lights up. Thank you in advance. Let me make sure I'm pulling up the right story. Hold on. Snow is a happy, energetic, and a typical little boy who loved wrestling. That's how a Milwaukee family is remembering the 12-year-old. His body was found last night at a home near 38th and Elmhurst on the city's north side. Investigators now think he may have been dead for days, maybe even weeks. Megan Lee joins us now live from MPD headquarters with new information in this troubling case. Megan. Definitely troubling, Charles. Tonight, we're learning from the medical examiner's office that Jakari's disappearance could have ranged from around Labor Day until yesterday. However, there are still so many questions revolving around this little boy's death. I mean, was he reported missing? Did school notice that he wasn't in class? And why is MPD calling this a homicide? Or is not calling this a homicide? Sorry, my bad. But the medical examiner's office is. Although there are all these questions, his family still gathered tonight to honor his life. Green balloons filled the sky near the intersection of 39th and Elmhurst in Milwaukee. Green was 12-year-old Jakari Robinson's favorite color. <laughs> family of Jakari, otherwise known as Kari, hugging each other a little tighter tonight. Messages showing how loved he was. Um, um, just from the years getting a call and then forecasting to today, you know, I woke up and was just really thinking of my boss right there and my little brother really gone. And Jordan Robinson is one of 10 siblings of Jakari. He says his little brother was. Um, uh, he loved the little for sure. He was always like one of those little brothers. Jordan says his brother's life was cut too short. Not seeing a little brother grow up kind of hurt a little bit. A lot like, I wish I could spend more time with him. The medical examiner says Jakari was malnourished and was decomposing to the point they couldn't positively identify him. I wanted to tell him more and be there, but we're like, I really like it didn't happen like the way I you know, Unfortunately, tragic. Jordan is still searching for answers, but right now he is focused on supporting his family. Me and my brother got to be stronger than ever. We the ones that hold, hold everybody together. I'm trying to, we trying to, you know, and it's like a lot of drinking days ahead for us. And, to be Jordan tells me his family needs time to grieve and they want closure. Tonight, the Milwaukee Police Department hasn't made any arrests in connection to Jakari's death. And if you have any information on this, you're asked to call Crime Stoppers. Live in Milwaukee, Megan Lee, TMJ4 News. All right, Megan Lee, thank you. The most eerie and I didn't seem right at all. Neighbors coming to terms with the shocking reality that steps away from their front doors, a child lost his life. According to a criminal complaint, 12-year-old Jakari Robinson was starved to death. 
The Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office charged Robinson's father, Ramon Moy, Saturday. Moy, a father of four, is facing three counts of child neglect and one count of failure to report the death of a child. According to the complaint, three of Moy's kids lived with him, but for the past two weeks, two of his children were with their mother, leaving Robinson alone with Moy. Families say they tried to see and talk with Moy during this period, but Moy appeared to be agitated and nervous. Moy would also stop people from visiting Robinson. When Moy's 21-year-old son called and texted him, Moy would not answer. On October 10th, he went to check on his dad and brother out of concern. Moy would not answer the door, so the man entered the family home. That's when he found the body of his decomposing brother on the living room floor under a blanket. The 12-year-old body was described to be in an advanced decomposition state. The complaint goes on to read that Robinson's father was known for being a harsh punisher. According to the medical examiner's office, Robinson's body was extremely malnourished and emaciated. The medical examiner also noted several fractures to the boy's arms and ribs. Neighbors in the community say when they saw Robinson, they were concerned about the way he looked. It's like he had jogging pants on, uh, a hoodie on, but like his jogging pants were kind of like swaying at his ankles. Like you could tell that he was super, super thin. Here's an update regarding Jakari Robinson. Um, his father has been charged. He is on the run but he's been charged criminally with neglect, which caused the unaliving of Jakari. On Saturday, October the 14th, the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office issued criminal charges against Romuan J. Moy for neglecting a child, which resulted in his unaliving. The unaliving was discovered, if you remember, I did the story October the 10th at a house on Elmhurst Road. Moy was charged with one count of chronic neglect of a child, consequence of unaliving, one count of chronic neglect of a child, consequence of bodily harm, one count of chronic neglect of a child, and one count of failure to report the unaliving of a child. And if he's convicted, he could face up to 82 years in prison and fined up to $45,000. Like I said, he is on the run. Now, why am I showing this picture with this young lady right here? Her name was Sarah Nicole. And I want you to look at the difference between uh, what she used to look like up until the point when she got with Moy and what she looked like with him. She's no longer here. She just passed away on the 8th of September this year. Now, she looks really good and healthy in these pictures right here. I don't know if she was already sick, but looking at her page and looking up her, she looked like she was very healthy. I want you to just take a look at her. Something's not right. And it's kind of strange where she passes away September the 8th, and then her son, I mean, his son ends up passing away October the 10th. Something is not right. And now he's on the run. Now, I'm not saying he did anything, but a lot of things are pointing towards doing something. Because she went from looking like this to looking like that right there. And it looks kind of familiar of how she's looking in the face, her bone structure. Hmm, remember I put that same photo in my last video. She's starting to look just like that right there, malnourished and face sunken in. So something is definitely not right. Then you start reading the messages. This is one of his cousins. He's been looking for him. But he got this type of message right here. They're looking for him. They're wanting to know what's going on. 
We want the truth. We want to find out what happened to that young man. Matter of fact, we need to find out what happened to your, your wife. Y'all were just newly married. And all of a sudden, she's gone. But if you see him, call the Milwaukee Police Department. They're looking for him. He's on the run. These are the numbers below. Also, nefarious. So let me tell you all something. I find it very interesting. I saw someone said in the chat that he went looking, the brother that is, went to check on his father, but not his brother. Exactly what I'm thinking. Now, here's the thing. He had to have been dead for a significant amount of time because they said that maggots were there. Okay? So he was dead over a week. And at the end of the day, he had all of these bruises, broken arms, broken ribs, other injuries. Somebody saw those injuries and pay attention. The lady who didn't show her face, who was speaking to the news reporter, uh, she talked about how his pants were swaying at the ankles and that it was apparent that he was very thin. She couldn't tell that this child was being scarred, that he looked sickly, that something wasn't right. She didn't bother to call the police or any type of authority. What's really going on here? What's really going on here? Also crazy, but hold on. Now here's what they go on to say. They say that the father of Ramon J. Moy, they say that he was diagnosed with cancer. Okay, hold on. Like I said, this child, and where's the mother? The mother didn't go check on her child. She didn't call on the phone to speak to him. And if the 15 and 17-year-old were initially staying with the father, and then they went to go live with the mother, they know something. They know something. They likely went to stay with the mother because they didn't want to be mistreated. But why would they leave their brother there? I just have a whole lot of questions. Something about this whole story is fishy. Okay? This is all fishy. I think the whole family knew. And if you look at the 22-year-old brother who found the body, he didn't seem very, and I know people grieve in different ways, but he didn't seem that upset about what had happened to his brother. Now, you have to factor in that if you find a loved one, specifically your sibling, you find them deceased and advanced, in advanced states of decomposition, so where there's maggots on their body and all of that? Like, I'm sorry, but you have to know that something crazy is going on, right? You have to be, I and mean, you would have to be traumatized. I'm just saying, I don't think I would be able to even have a straight face. I absolutely don't know how he was just standing up there talking like that. This is all crazy. So I'll tell you what, though. We know that he was in there dead for... I would probably give a state of shock this time. Exactly. Right? This is all crazy. Hold on. I'm trying to see if there's any more updates. And then I'm going to finish telling you all what this article says. Oh, crazy. So here's what they say. They say, uh, J.M. explained, now that's the brother who found the body, he explained to police that Moy, a few years ago,
claims who has been diagnosed with cancer and claimed that he had been that it had progressed in the last few months said that he does not have long to live this made jm spend more time with him uh spend more time with his father but moy was being very evasive as of late moy had allegedly been keeping here's another thing let me tell you something's not adding up something's not adding up pay attention now the young man said he went to the house knocked on the door and nobody answered he left and came back i would have come back with the police because didn't he smell that foul stench in the air he didn't smell that foul stench because you know it had to have a, it had to be really pungent in there here's the thing so the little boy was in advanced stages of decomposition the body had maggots and all of that now when a person dies in about 24 hours the flies will show up okay the flies will show up they're going to make the eggs which are the maggots the larva which turns into maggots which takes about 24 to 48 hours. And then the advanced uh, stages of decomposition, well, that starts to happen around maybe the 10th day. Okay? It's all crazy. He was in there for quite some time, is all I'm saying. Because the maggots and the insects, like the, the beetles and all of that, all these other insects that show up to feast off of the decaying corpse, usually. You know, they start breaking down the heat on the broken down tissue, the skin, hair, and all of that stuff, the muscles of the body, and all of this. And then, yeah, they feast on it for like 25 to 50 days. Okay. And so he was in there for quite some time, so I was thinking, oh, sick. And you mean to tell me he didn't smell any pungent odor when he went to the door the first time and he just left, then went back? And he went to check on his father because he said his father was diagnosed with cancer. So that's likely why he wants to check on his father's well-being. But why not check on your brother? Uh, let me continue. I wonder if that's his real brother, like his cousin's same mother, or just the same father, because he just really seemed like he was more concerned with the father to me. I, I'm just saying. 